If this is your first time, we are in a sermon series called Abide, and we're just walking through five chapters of John's gospel, right? John 13 through 17. And this is the portion of scripture where Jesus is preparing his disciples for after he leaves, right? So he's about to go to the cross, right? He's gonna, he's gonna die, he's gonna rise three days later, 40 days later, he's gonna ascend to the right hand of the Father, and then they're gonna be without Jesus for the very first time since they begin following him. And last week, if you were here, we got to be kind of a fly on the wall as Jesus prepared his boys for coming, the coming opposition, rejection, and persecution. And we talked about how we, as modern-day disciples in 2021, also need to prepare for opposition by embracing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and also training for endurance because the reality is, as many of you already know, this life isn't always easy. And the reality is, for followers of Jesus, it's likely going to be getting tougher in the days ahead, but we are never alone, right? That's the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has been giving us. And we're gonna dive right back into that whole concept and idea of this glorious truth of the Holy Spirit again this morning. Now, last week, we saw that this truth that Jesus was gonna be leaving them was very hard for the disciples, right? So by the time we hit John chapter 16, that's where we're gonna be this morning, by the way. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you, go ahead and open it up or turn it on. You can grab it on our app, John chapter 16. By the time we get there, the disciples are very troubled, And so they're thinking like, man, Jesus is leaving us? What what does that mean for us practically? What's gonna happen to me when Jesus leaves? Like this this was not the game plan, Jesus. What's, What's going on? And so Jesus is gonna give them this beautiful promise today that really I think would would go on to fuel their entire lives and give them hope for the rest of their days. And I hope that it fuels your hope today. Whether you're here as maybe a a new believer, a new follower of Jesus, or maybe you've been following, walking with Jesus for many years, perhaps even decades, or maybe you're here, you're tuned in online, and you're not even a follower of Jesus yet. You're just kind of checking this stuff out. You're not really sure about all this God stuff. You're not really quite sure about what, how to make, what to make out of all this Jesus stuff. I think there's hope for all of us, regardless of where you are on the spiritual spectrum this morning. I hope it's an encouragement to you. So John chapter 16, we're gonna start right where we left off last week, which is in the middle of John 16, verse four, okay? Middle of verse four. This is what Jesus says. I did not say these things to you, from the beginning, because I was with you. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that Jesus, again, had just been talking to them about how they would be opposed, the disciples, how they would be persecuted, and many of them, most of them, would actually be killed for their faith in Jesus. And he says, hey, hey, listen, I didn't, I didn't tell you all of this about the coming rejection and persecution that you're gonna face from the very beginning because I was with you. See, as long as the disciples had Jesus with them, he, he kind of functioned like a shield for them, right? He, he kind of absorbed the hostility and the insults and the oppositions. He was with them. But he's getting ready to leave now, and so now all of that hostility and all of that persecution that's been sort of centered on Jesus Christ, now that he's gone, it's going to shift towards his disciples. And so he's, he's preparing them for what is to come. Look at verse 5. But now I'm going to him, that is the father who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, the disciples are are understandably very sad. 
They're troubled because Jesus is like, hey, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm about, I'm about to leave you. So they're, they're even confused about this. And if we're being honest, they're, they're being a little selfish right now, aren't they? They're being just a little bit self-centered because they're not worried about where Jesus is going. They're not worried about what's gonna happen to Jesus when he gets wherever he's going. Their only focus right now is what's gonna happen to me? Like when you leave, Jesus, what? Is this gonna be bad news for me? What, what, am I gonna have to pay a price for this? What's going on, right? Anybody else out there get a little bit selfish when you're sad or stressed out, you know? To my great shame, you can ask my wife, sometimes I turn into a big toddler, right? When I'm, when I'm sad or stressed, stressed out, I turn into a, a big baby, right? That, that's, what these, that's where these disciples are, right? They're troubled, they're confused. They're like, man, what's going on? This is, this is very troubling to us, but Jesus has good news for them in their moment of distress, and he's got good news for you today if you're in that sort of season of, of distress or just feeling a, perhaps a little bit unsettled in your heart. Maybe you don't even know why your heart feels unsettled. You just, things are kind of chaotic. Well, God's got great news for you through this text this morning. Now, let's pick right up in verse seven. And this is, this is absolutely astonishing. Watch this. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Say what? He's talking to his disciples who are troubled and he says, this is actually to your advantage. Watch what he says. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now this is, this is shocking. Did you catch what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, listen, it's actually better for you if I go away. And just imagine what had to have been going through the disciples' heads at this point in time. They had given up everything to follow Jesus, right? They'd left their careers. They'd left their, the comfort of their homes, of their hometowns, sometimes of their family and friends. They'd given up everything. They believed he was the Messiah. They thought that he had come to establish a kingdom on earth. And now he says, it's better for you if I leave. Now just imagine when you were a little kid, seven, eight, 10 years old, if your parents came in and set you down one day and said, hey, you know, listen, there's, a, there's plenty of food in the pantry. The fridge is fully stocked. You're not gonna understand, understand this now, seven-year-old, but we're, we're, we're gonna leave you. It's gonna be better for you if we go. Now, you gotta understand, spiritually speaking, these disciples were, were children in the faith. They'd only been walking with Jesus for, for three, three and a half years, so they're not really mature in their faith yet, and Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave you. Now, imagine if your parents did that to you when you were a kid, how upset you would be, how confused you would be, how afraid you would be. That's exactly what the disciples are experiencing in this moment. Now, I, I heard this uh, for the first time from a, a pastor named J.D. Greer, and I, I wanna give you kind of the big idea of the whole sermon on, on the front end, right? And so if you're gonna mentally check out and start thinking about where you're taking your mom out to, to go to, out to eat, whatever, I want you to get this on the front end. Here's the big idea. If you get nothing else, this is what I want you to get. This will be on the screens for you. The spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. The spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. Now, that almost feels heretical to say. Like, as I was writing this sermon this week, I had to go back to verse seven and read it a bunch of times to make sure I didn't get fired for saying this because it just almost felt wrong, right? And yet, I went back, and yet, it is precisely what Jesus just said to his disciples. The spirit in you is better than me beside you. Now, just be honest. For those of you who, who are Christians, if you had the choice, if you were given the choice to have Jesus physically in the flesh beside you all the time, every day, 
of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you, how many of you wouldn't choose Jesus in the flesh right beside? Most of us would. Because how cool would that be to get to hang out with Jesus physically every day, to get to ask him questions, to get to listen to him preach and teach, to get to watch him perform miracles, right? That one friend that you have that just isn't a believer, to be able to knock on their door one day and say, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, I'm sorry, he's right here. <laughs> Let me introduce you to him. He would, he would like to tell you a few things, right? It would be awesome to have Jesus with us in the flesh. It would be mind-blowing. And yet Jesus says, the spirit in you is better than me beside you. Now, why would Jesus say something radical like this? You think about it. The disciples really could only be with Jesus sometimes, they really could only be with Jesus sometimes, right? If he went into the wilderness to pray, as was often his custom, right, the disciples were alone. If he went into town to, to minister, or say, remember the story where he goes in and he meets with uh, the, the scandalous story where he meets with a Samaritan woman, right? The disciples were alone. So there were times where they were not with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, would give them the presence of God always, the Holy Spirit will be with you all the time. This will be even better for you. That's why the Spirit in you, believer, is better than the Son beside you. Now, what Jesus is about to do is about to give us the ways in which the Holy Spirit interacts with both believers and unbelievers in the world. Now, did you know that? A lot of people didn't know that, that the Holy Spirit actually has a major role in interacting with unbelievers in the world, but that's what Jesus is about to tell us. So the disciples are troubled, Jesus is going, hey, relax, boys. I know you're upset, but I'm not gonna leave you alone. I promise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send another one like me. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, the helper to you. Now, let me just remind you, a couple of weeks ago, we also um, were, were teaching on the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you, um, because you hear this in, even in churches a lot. Uh, you even hear this from the pulpit a lot. The, the, ho the Holy Spirit is not an it, all right? So if you, ref if you refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, just, just stop, <laughs> The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, right? This is not Star Wars. He is a being. He's a personal being. He's a relational being. He's a member of the Trinitarian God, right? That's what we believe as followers of Jesus, that, that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all different in function, and they are all 100% fully God, right? The Holy Spirit is a he. He is not an it. He's personal. He's active. He's powerfully at work in your life, whether you realize it or not, and in the world today. Now, let's look at the ways in which Jesus says the Holy Spirit interacts with believers first, and then we're going to talk about the way that he interacts with an unbelieving world, and then you can take your mama out to eat. Of course, if you were smart, you already did it, right? Because the lines are going to be really long at all the restaurants today, but we're gonna get out of here pretty soon. So when Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm gonna send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, that, that word in the original language is parakletos, which can literally mean, and I think does mean in this, in this particular context, comforter. So he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you the helper who's actually gonna help you by comforting you. Remember, the disciples are very troubled at this point in time. Jesus is about to leave, and the disciples are just freaking out a little bit. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't, don't stress, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you the helper. I'm gonna send you the, the helper who will actually give you comfort. And that's the very first thing. And guys, listen, this is so important. That's the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. He comforts our troubled hearts. He comforts our troubled hearts. 
Now, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we're living in a climate now of, especially in our nation, of total political division like I've never seen in my lifetime. We're, we're living in a, in a season of history where there's, there's global strife all over the world. Right? There, there are wars and proxy wars that are happening and rumors of impending wars that could happen and all sorts of reports. Every time you turn on the news of, of violence and mayhem, right? Does, does anybody else just get kind of a heavy heart sometimes? You know, I, I've got to be careful how much intake of the news I, I, I allow into my life because my heart gets heavy. I mean, I think you would almost have to be a sociopath not to have a troubled heart at times in today's culture. And Jesus looks at us and he says, I got you. I know your heart is troubled. That's why I'm gonna send you my spirit, the helper. And he's gonna comfort you in ways that nothing else and no one else can in this world. He's gonna be my presence with you always and forever. And that's super good news. I want you to listen to the words of Paul, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. This will be on the screens for you. This is what he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of what? Of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, any affliction, right? This is kind of a double benefit. Through the Holy Spirit of God, we receive comfort from God so that we can be a comfort to those who are walking through difficulties in life. And one of the primary ways comfort comes to the people of God is through the Spirit of God. Now, I know many of you could testify to that all day long, right? Many of you, I've talked to you. I've heard some of your stories. Some of you have walked through deep valleys, crushing circumstances, and yet your testimony, your witness would be, man, I found God's comfort in the darkest days of my life. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? There is no human explanation for how you could walk through the most tragic circumstances in this world and still experience the comfort of God. That is the Holy Spirit's work. Now, that is not all the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. That's part of what he does. Look at the second thing he does for us in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will, what? Guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the second way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believers, not only does he comfort our troubled hearts, which I think we all need desperately, but the second thing he does is he guides us into all truth. And isn't that such a massive need for us today, man? There are a million different truth claims out there in our world today all clamoring for our allegiance. And if we're being honest, it, it can be really confusing at times, can't it? Like, man, what, do I believe this side? Do I believe that side? What is going on with this? What is going on with politics and virus stuff and war stuff? What in the world is going on? It can be really confusing. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna send you the one who will guide you into all truth. Let me ask you something. If you're, uh, if you're here, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever had just kind of the, this weird experience where, I don't know, maybe you're listening to a sermon online or watching a, a sermon on, on the TV. Maybe you're reading a book, perhaps even a Christian book from a Christian bookstore. Maybe you're watching a movie and there's just something inside of you that's whispering, this isn't right. 
You ever had that experience? Like, man, this, I can't even, maybe, maybe you can't even really put your finger on it, but there's just something inside of you that's like, man, there's something that's not right. Like this, this dude, he's using the name of Jesus or this gal on the radio, she's claiming the name of Jesus, but I, I could just sense this message is not from the Lord, right? Now, some of you have been walking with Jesus for so long, man, you have a, such a strong spirit of discernment, man. You can, you can sniff a prosperity preacher from a mile away, right? <laughs> something stinks in the room, you're like, oh yeah, prosperity preacher, he just walked in, right? You, you can smell a false gospel from a hundred miles down the road and praise God for that. And if that's your experience, man, that's because you have the spirit of truth who is indwelling you and he's guiding you into all truth and praise God for that. And the truth of the matter is the longer you walk with Jesus and you're filled by the spirit, the more pronounced this sort of discerning spirit of truth becomes in us, right? And that's really, really important. Now, there's one more way, a third way. I wanna show you that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, the follower of Jesus from this text. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, he, that's the, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the third way the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, number three, is the Holy Spirit helps us spotlight Jesus. Right inside of us and through us to the world around us. Did you know that the primary goal of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus? You know, that, that, that is his primary role. I want you to look at the words of Jesus. John 15, we looked at this last week. I just wanna refresh your memory. This will be on the screen. Jesus says this, but when the helper, that's the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness. It's another way of saying spotlight, he will spotlight or bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So when the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to exalt Jesus, indwells us, guess what our primary role and job becomes? To spotlight Jesus, right? Now, you may not know this. This is kind of my claim to fame. But I once worked for the same organization as Michael Jordan. I don't, I don't know if you know that. Now, I, I, true story. I did not work for the Chicago Bulls, but I worked for the Birmingham Barons, a minor league baseball team in Birmingham, Alabama. So you may remember Michael Jordan retired from the NBA briefly, I think like one or two seasons, and he pl played minor league, league baseball at the organization where, where I worked. And he may have actually come in the year before or after me, but I had several friends that worked for the Barons. Here, here's, the, here's the whole point. It was not our job those of us who worked for the Birmingham Barons at the time that Michael Jordan was on the team to spotlight ourselves. It was not our job. Now, you know what my job was? I, I was a parking attendant, which means I got one of those, those long orange cones that glowed and I told people where to park and they just would ignore me and zoom, zoom right around me. That was my job with the Birmingham Barons. It was not my job to spotlight myself. It was all of our jobs to spotlight Michael Jordan, right? He was the star of the show. He was the hero of the story. He took an organization that was on the brink of bankruptcy, and all of a sudden we were overflowing with cash and buying all kinds of new things. He was the star of the show, and it was our job to spotlight him. That's why Jesus is saying this is the role of the Holy Spirit, and when he indwells us, it becomes our job, right? Look, if you're a follower of Jesus, he should not be a priority in your life. He shouldn't be just one of many great priorities in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, he should be the priority in your life 
Well, all other priorities ought to center around him, right? Because here's the deal. If Jesus is not the center of your life, guess who will be? You. You know who makes a terrible God? You. You make a horrible God. And so do I. Our role as Holy Spirit-filled disciples of Jesus is to spotlight King Jesus in everything that we say and do. That's our, that's our role. How we use our time, right? How we use our talents, how we invest our treasure, all should center around making much of Jesus, making him famous in Asheville and around the world. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Acts 1. This is after his resurrection, before his ascension. This is what he says to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, or you will be my spotlights in Jerusalem. That's Asheville for us. And all Judea and Samaria, that's North America for us. And all the way to the ends of the earth. Now that's a pretty big task, isn't it? I mean, that, that's a task that almost seems impossible. The reality is, I can't do that. And you can't accomplish that. But together, collectively, as the bride of Jesus, empowered by the spirit of Jesus, we can absolutely begin to change the world. That's what the first century church did. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you love Jesus, man, I hope that excites you, man. We've been invited into something so much bigger than ourselves. We've been invited to build the kingdom of Jesus on earth. This is really exciting stuff. So that's, that's the way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. Well, how does he work in the, the life of the unbeliever? If you're here this morning and that's you, or maybe you're tuned in online and that's you, I want you to know we're, we're glad that you're here, right? We love you. More importantly than that, you have a God who loves you and is pursuing you, but I hope that this will be an encouragement to you if you're here and you don't know Jesus. Let's look at verse eight. This is how the Holy Spirit interacts with those who don't believe. Jesus says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world. Now that word convict in this context, in the original language, can, can also mean convince. So the Holy Spirit will come and he will convince the world. And what exactly will he convince them of? Well, he gives us three things that the Holy Spirit will convince the unbelieving world of. Number one is he says he, the Holy Spirit will convince them or convict them of sin, right? Now Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is the one who pursues and convicts or convinces them of sin. Now sin, if you're new to the church, is just kind of a biblical word that means us choosing our way over God's way. By the way, that's something that each of us do on a daily basis, right? We, we're all sinners. I think we can all agree we've chosen our way over God's way multiple times in our lives. And so Jesus is saying, listen, he's gonna convince them, convict them of their sin, but not just any sin, right? He's not talking about, hey, you know, I ate too much last night or I cussed at my neighbor the other day. Or, no, this is not, not sin, plural. This is sin, singular. He's talking about a very specific kind of sin. And he tells us, he says, it's sin because they do not believe in me. Now, how many people in the world, and we all have friends and neighbors, colleagues, you know, coworkers, classmates that are not believers. 
Now, almost nobody who's, who's not a believer would, would ever see their unbelief in Jesus as a sin, right? Most people don't walk around and see their unbelief in Jesus as a sin. In fact, most people would almost see it as a badge of honor, right? So you talk to people sometimes, they're like, hey, look, man, you believe in Jesus, and, 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 and that's great if you need a crutch in life, <laughs> but I'm strong, you know? I, I, don't, I don't need the spiritual crutch in my life. It almost becomes a, a badge of honor. Like, I'm, I'm more intellectual than you right? I'm more enlightened than you mentally, and so I, I don't need this crush. It becomes a badge of honor. So they don't see this unbelief in Jesus as a sin, and here's the reality. Only the Holy Spirit can convince them of that. Only the Holy Spirit. Do you know who else makes a horrible Holy Spirit? You <laughs> and me. I learned this the first couple years of our marriage. Don't, don't try it. Don't try, you're, not your, you're not the Holy Spirit for your spouse, you're not even the Holy Spirit for your kids, all right? And when you try, it's gonna, go, it's gonna go sideways. Our job as believers is to faithfully live out the gospel, to open our mouths, to share the good news of Jesus in love. It is the Holy Spirit who persuades people that they are sinners in need of a savior. And in some sense, isn't that all of our stories? whether you became a believer later in life or maybe you were in elementary school, college, whatever it is. Isn't that all of our stories? There was a time in our lives where we didn't believe. Maybe we had heard the gospel a million times before and then for some unexplainable reason through a friend or a neighbor or a, a grandma or a pastor, we heard the gospel maybe for the thousandth time and all of a sudden we believed. Now what changed? The Holy Spirit of God breathed life into our dead, cold hearts, right? He pursued us and brought us into the kingdom of light. Charles Spurgeon, the great 1800s preacher, once called the Holy Spirit the great hound of heaven. I love that, right? The Holy Spirit is the great hound of heaven. He is the great pursuer. I heard a story uh, recently, a man was recounting his own story and, and, and he wasn't a believer, in fact, he was agnostic, and uh, he befriended this, this young guy who was a believer, he's a Christian. He said, the guy, you know, the guy wasn't, didn't browbeat him with the gospel, but he said, he just kind of talked to him about Jesus. Like, hey, man, this is what Jesus has done in my life, and it's been really, really incredible how he's revolution, revolutionized my life, and he invited him to church, and so his agnostic friend began to come to church with him, and he's like, man, I don't understand why I was drawn to church, because I didn't believe. I thought it was kind of comical what they believed, but I, maybe I just liked the music, or I thought the pastor was funny, or whatever it is, so he, he's going to church with his Christian friend for like six months, and this guy's a very intellectual guy, really kind of a high-powered business guy, and uh, he recounts a story. He was on a business trip from the East Coast to the West Coast. And he said at about 30,000 feet, as he's traveling across the nation to a business appointment, he just had this, this, this epiphany where he realized all of a sudden, junk, I think I believe this. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I didn't have an angel appear to me in the middle of the night. It was just this process, and I now believe this. Like, I believe there's a God in heaven who loves me, who sent Jesus to live a perfect life for me, to die to pay for my sins, and he rose again to give me freedom and life in this world and the one to come. And he said, I don't know how it happened. I just know that in this moment, I believe, and I was shocked, right? That is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? His friend was not persuasive enough, Right? The Holy Spirit did that in his heart. I think the best example of this is probably the Apostle Peter at Pentecost. You guys remember that story in Acts chapter two? Peter, 
right? This really timid guy, this cowardly dude who denies Jesus three times right before Jesus goes to the cross. Well, Acts chapter two happens, the Holy Spirit shows up. Peter, the timid, Peter, the coward, stands up in front of thousands of people. As far as we know, his very first sermon, never preached before. He preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people repent and believe in Jesus. By the way, many of them, undoubtedly the same people who just days earlier were chanting, crucify him, crucify him, as Jesus stood before Pilate, right? Now what, what changed? What changed? The Holy Spirit showed up and he convinced them of their sin. I want you to listen to the crowd's response after Peter preaches Jesus crucified. This is Acts 2, this will be on the screen. Listen to the response. Now when they had heard this, the gospel about Jesus, they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love the, this quote from D.M. Dawson. He said, without the, the power of the Holy Spirit, all human efforts, methods, and plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our own breath. Now, that's a pretty funny picture, isn't it? Just imagine being out in the middle of the Atlantic and you're sitting there you know, blowing at the sails, right? Try, trying to get across to, to Africa, right? It, it would be, people would say, you're insane. We need, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, leading us, or we have no hope to do anything of eternal consequence in our lives. Now this, by the way, should be an encouragement to us because Jesus is saying, in essence, listen, there are many people out there who are currently outside of my kingdom, but I'm coming after them. I'm coming after them, right? I'm the hound of heaven, I'm sending my spirit after them and they're in the kingdom of darkness now, but one day they will not be in the kingdom of darkness, they will be in the kingdom of light because I'm coming after them, right? And this should be exciting, this should be encouraging, especially for those of us who have been praying for friends and loved ones for years and sometimes it feels like nothing is ever gonna happen. And I think Jesus is just saying, stay after it, keep after it. My Holy Spirit is at work in this world. And this should be an encouragement for us as believers, keep going, don't give up. Keep pressing into the power of the Holy Spirit. He's at work. Now here's the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the unbeliever is he convinces them not only of sin, but he convinces them of righteousness. Now here's the thing. In our culture, most people have this idea that, hey, listen, if there, if there is a God, and I'm not sure that there is, but there, if there is a God, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, man. Like I, I'm not like Mother Teresa level good, like if she's like a level eight, I'm certainly not like a Jesus level good. He's like a 10, but I'm not Hitler either. I've never killed anybody and I don't litter very much. I recycle most of the time. I try not to sneeze on people when I have a COVID cough. And like I, I'm like, a, I'm a pretty good person most of the time. And so there's this idea that, man, if my good deeds just kind of outweigh my bad deeds when I stand before God, then me and the man upstairs, like we'll be all right. He'll let me in. That sounds good, there's only one problem with it. You know what it is? It's the opposite of what the scriptures teach. Because what the scriptures teach is that none of us are righteous. In fact, Paul teaches in Romans that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, of this perfect, 
righteous and holy God. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. Maybe the best illustration I could give you is just imagine it was like a super hot day. You've been outside working and sweating and man, you were really parched. Like you couldn't even talk. Your throat was so dry and you come in here and I just had this nice, delicious, cold bottle of water, right? Right here. And you just, man, you just you wanted nothing more in this world than just to gulp down that water and say, say I said, okay, I'll give you this water, but first let me just pop the cap and I'm just gonna drop one, one drop of cyanide in here. Put the tap on. How many of you want that bottle of water anymore? It's 99.9% pure. It's 999, but it's pretty good. It's pretty righteous. But just that one drop pollutes the whole thing, right? That's the message of scripture. Even one sin pollutes all of us in the face of a perfect, holy, righteous God. That's why we need somebody else's righteousness applied to our life. That's why Jesus came. That's why he lived a perfect, righteous life on your behalf that you could never live. And now he offers his righteousness to anyone who would call on his name, who would believe in him and follow him. See, listen, the gospel is not about earning righteousness. By the way, that's every world religion. Did you know that? Every world religion teaches you have to earn righteousness. So you gotta do these five things. You gotta pray five times a day. You gotta take a pilgrimage to this place or that holy place or whatever it is. And if you do enough things, if you get righteous enough, then God will maybe accept you. The gospel flips that on its head and says, no, there's nothing you could ever do to become righteous. You're that bottle of water that's got cyanide in it. Some of you have more cyanide than others of you, but you're all polluted. You cannot earn and cannot earn righteousness. Here's the message of the gospel. You receive the righteousness of Jesus. You can't earn it. All you can do is receive the righteousness of Jesus. Look at the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit shows the world where real righteousness is found and it is never in yourself. You're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. We need the righteousness of another, and that is Jesus Christ. There's a third thing the Holy Spirit convinces or convicts unbelievers of, and that is the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit will convince people that there is a coming judgment. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but every single person alive will one day stand before a perfect and holy God. And I'm just here to tell you if, if you have to stand before him based on your life, based on your actions, based on your secret thought life, you're in deep trouble. And I'm in deep trouble too. That's why you need the righteousness of Jesus so that when you stand before God, he will see you through the lens of Jesus' cleansing blood and his righteousness. And Jesus is saying, listen, if, if Satan, if even Satan, the, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness, has been judged, then so will everybody else in his kingdom. The Holy Spirit will come. He will convict people of this coming judgment, of their sin, of their need for righteousness that's only found in Jesus. Now listen, guys, this is really good news. This is the gospel. You are a sinner. You are not righteous. You need someone else's righteousness applied to your life. And thank God he sent Jesus to give us that because there is a coming judgment. And so the message from Jesus all the way through the centuries up to our day to day, the message of the gospel is cling to Jesus, friend. 
Find life in him. Find freedom in him. Now, if you're here, you're not in Christ this morning, I just want you to know the hound of heaven is pursuing you. The hound of heaven is pursuing you. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence. If you're tuned in online or you're in the room with us and you're not yet in Christ, it's not a coincidence that you're here today to hear this message. The God of this universe is pursuing you through the Holy Spirit. And so as we close, I just wanna invite you, we don't do this all the time, but I wanna invite you to bow your heads. I wanna invite you to just close your eyes for a minute. We're not gonna take long. If you're at home, I would invite you to do the same thing, right? You got dogs barking and kids running around. Just bow your head, close your eyes for just a minute. And here's a question that I wanna ask you. Do you personally know the Holy Spirit of God? I'm not asking if you know facts or Bible verses. I'm asking you, do you know the Spirit of God? Have you experienced the Spirit of God in your life? Or maybe he's convicting you. Maybe he's convincing you right now of, of your sin, of your need for righteousness from Jesus, of the coming judgment that awaits all of us. And I don't know, maybe, maybe for you, for the very first time, all you need today is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if that's you, if that's your heart's desire, and you're like, yeah, Chris, man, I, I don't have what you're talking about. Like, I, I wanna know Jesus and I wanna experience this personal power of the Holy Spirit. This is, I know that this is what I need in my life. If that's you, let me just beg you, let me implore you, believe on Jesus this morning. Turn from your sin. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you already know Jesus, if you're his follower, let me just ask you this question. Are you really pressing into the spirit in your life? Are you pressing into him as your comforter, as your guide? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to spotlight Jesus in your life and really through your life to the world around you? Remember, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, you will be my spotlight in your city and all around the world. Church, listen, we've been given a huge, exciting mission, but it can only be accomplished as we work together, as we press into the power of the Holy Spirit. So friend, this week, let's press in to the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's spotlight Jesus to the world around us for our good, for his glory. Let's pray, and then we're gonna sing. Jesus, we, we are so grateful that you didn't leave us alone. We're so thankful that you did send the helper, the Holy Spirit, as our comforter, as our guide, as a spotlight towards Jesus in our lives, Father. We're thankful for that, we're grateful for that. And I pray, Father, if there's one here now, maybe one watching online now, who hasn't yet crossed into the kingdom of light, God. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, even right now, in this very moment, you would begin to convince them of their own sin, of their rebellion, of their need for true righteousness, that they can never be good enough in their own moral efforts, that they need a savior to redeem them, to set them free, God. Would you, would you convince them that there is a coming judgment one day? that none of us stand any chance unless we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Would you convict that person? Would you convince that person, God? Would they cry out just in their own words right now, Jesus, I believe. 
I believe in you and I want to follow you and I want your spirit to indwell me. And so would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. Will you thank you, Father, for sending Jesus? We pray in his name, the beautiful name of Jesus and the power of his spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.